Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Would you please open your Bibles, open your Bibles. If you're opening one of those blue Bibles, no matter what venue you're in, hello to the entire Christ Chapel family. Uh, those blue Bibles, it's going to be page 911, 911. Uh, please open your Bibles. You will need a copy of Scriptures open because we're going to read through the entire passage together, but also some of the things we're going to reference. I, I'm not going to have time to go back and put everything on the screen, so we're just going to reference uh, t- snippets of the verses as we go throughout also want to certainly acknowledge uh, the tragedy yesterday in Allen and have uh, been heavy on my heart since I've heard about it and in my prayers certainly uh, this morning and just uh, it's a tragedy. Evil exists in our world and I, my prayer is that that would raise our urgency for the message that we have. Uh, because life is precious and we don't know how much time that we have. And so I want you to know that we do have teams that are vigilant at all of our campuses uh, that help us to worship in peace with peace of mind. And I'm certainly thankful for all of those folks that watch over us and uh, just want you to know that and also just want to say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, please. Um, Okay, we are going to uh, jump back in. Speaking of the urgency of the message that we have, uh, we're going to continue our series through Acts and the power of a changed life. I think uh, Jonathan did a phenomenal job last week. When does he not? Uh, He's a wonderful guy that I love getting to partner with, uh, not only because he's incredibly gifted, uh, but also because he's been a friend to me uh, for so many years. I've told you guys we've been friends for 20 years, and it's been fun to serve alongside of him in this capacity. But one of the reasons why we're friends is not just because of our own friendship that we built uh, two decades ago, but because I've got to know his family pretty well. Uh, See, back in seminary when I was getting my master's, a part of my master's program was I had to do a pastoral internship somebody to to sit under and learn how they pastored. And I ended up choosing to do that with Jonathan's dad, uh, Dennis Murphy. And so this is when I graduated with my master's. I did not have any gray hair in there. I've gotten gray hair from you guys. Um, (laughs) But uh, this is uh, Jonathan's dad, Dennis, and he was pastor of Ballygo Martin Baptist Church in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And so uh, this is Ballygo Martin. He used to always say it's the only church with go in it, um, the way he would get everybody fired up. And so that's where I did my pastoral internship for a summer. So I lived with Jonathan's family. And uh, as I was there at Ballygo Martin doing variety of pastoral different things, uh, one of the things that I realized was every week there was a gentleman who walked past the church at the exact same time on the exact same day. And I ended up deciding like, hey, I'm going to go out and just walk with this guy because he would walk past the church at the exact same time and about the same time he would walk right back past. And so I thought, I'm going to just join this guy uh, on his walk. Turns out he was walking to go get his meat from the butcher for the week. Like, that's so not familiar to us as Americans, but uh, to them, that was, that was normal. And so I walked with this guy and would walk with him down to the butcher and, and walk back and obviously stop there at the church and, and let him go back home. Um, wonderful conversations with this guy. It was really fun uh, getting to talk with him. He was an older gentleman, uh, but getting to talk with him, I was super curious just about his life. I mean, I don't go to the butcher. Do you go to the butcher? 
You know, there's just a dedicated butcher. Not many people do. And so just learning about those things and some of the cultural things about being uh, Northern Irish and just about his life. And, and he was curious about me. You know, what's it like to be an American? What, what is it like to, to grow up where you grew up? And wonderful conversations. And we did this every week, exact same time. Until one day, as we got into further and deeper conversations, I began to share my faith. You know, he was curious about why I was there. And finally, I decided, okay, here, I'm going to tell him the real reason why I'm here. You know, I'm doing a pastoral uh, internship, and let me tell you about who Jesus is to me. He was very cordial, listened to me share my story with him. Um, But then I I transitioned and I said, so what about you? I mean, what is your spiritual life like? And uh, the walk quickly turned to a stand. And he turned to me and he said, I will talk to you about anything, but I will not talk to you about Jesus. I mean, to say that I was startled is an understatement. Um, I, I was certainly taken aback, and, and quite frankly, my, my feelings were hurt, honestly. Yes, I have feelings. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 just, I just didn't understand why he wouldn't tell me anything. Like, why he, why he wouldn't, t- I mean, just tell me you don't have a spiritual life. Just, just talk to me about it. I mean, I've been kind with you. I've just been walking every week with you. I've carried your meat, you know, I, you know, I, I, why will you not talk to me about this? And, you know, as I've thought more about that story, I've realized that that, that experience is probably not unique to me. Uh, you've probably had those similar experiences, not walking with someone to the butcher, but walking with someone and, and having a good relationship with them and feeling like your relationship is going to a good enough spot where you can go uh, deeper into who you are. Uh, and, and, and who Jesus is to you and the important role that he has in your life and you begin to share that with someone and the conversations that were going smoothly all of a sudden come to a, an abrupt halt. Uh, the, 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 the relationship that you thought was warming up all of a sudden turns cold. And you wonder, you go, what, what, what happened? Why, why would somebody, I, I thought I was being kind. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was being cordial. Why, why is my curiosity about where someone is about Jesus met with hostility? And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at Acts chapter 4 because you're going to see this turn from curiosity to hostility. And I want to answer some questions why. So just to give you some context, if you remember from Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to to meet with the early church in the temple. They're walking through the gate called Beautiful. They see the lame man. They say, in the name of Jesus, you know, silver and gold we do not have, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. That guy gets up and walks. This is a sign. This is a sign miracle. In fact, he says that uh, here in the text. But this sign is given so that they could highlight Jesus the message of Jesus. And everybody is curious about this. What happened to this guy? This is a guy that we've seen, that we've walked past for decades. And then all of a sudden, this guy that was sitting and begging is now up walking, leaping, and praising God, as it says in verse 10 of chapter 3. So what happened? And it draws this wonderful crowd, this wonderfully curious crowd as to what is going on. But you're going to see this turn from curiosity to 
to hostility in chapter 4. So I want to read it with you, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. So just follow along. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. What a great phrase. We'll come back to that. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000 of believers in the early church. Verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what, me by what means this man is healed, if you're going to put us on trial for that, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in his name. So they called them, that's Peter and John, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And may God bless the reading of his word, and may our hearts be open to hear from him. So you can see this turn from the, this, this curiosity as to what happened turns to hostility, turns to a, a contentious situation. You wonder, what happened here? This, I, I think some of these things happen in our own lives and uh, some of these emotions you'll be able to relate to as we go throughout this passage because what I wanna do as we look at this passage is first, I wanna look at why are people hostile or resistant or threatened by Christ? Why? 
Why were they? And I think some of the things that, that, that threatened them, and I'm using the word threatened because they threatened Peter and John. The reason why they were threatened, I wanna go through those because I think these things are, are common to, to men and women today. And, and I hope that by unearthing why they're threatened by the message of Christ and who he is, I hope that that gives us some understanding and some sympathy and some compassion and some understanding about where people are coming from who don't yet know or walk with Jesus. But then, what do we do when we encounter resistance? Uh, what, what does that look like? Should we just leave them be, let them go? Well, I think what you're gonna see through this is we should persist amidst the resistance. So that's what we're talking about today and where we're headed. So uh, let's look at the first reason why resistance comes. So first, resistance comes because Christ threatens a person's previous beliefs. Resistance comes because Christ threatens a person's previous beliefs. Uh, I pointed out to you in verse two how it says they were greatly annoyed. Just I love that phrase there. And you wonder why were the people of the temple greatly annoyed? Well, first, uh, it says the captain of the temple was there. The captain of the temple was in charge of keeping order in the temple, making sure there wasn't a whole bunch of chaos or anything like that. And so they were annoyed because there's obviously a great commotion with this person now who is walking, leaping, and praising God who had not walked for 40 years. So that's, this, this crowd is running to them, great commotion there. But another reason why this, these temple rulers are greatly annoyed is because the temple rulers were mainly made up of Sadducees. Sadducees. Now, you've probably heard the term Pharisees, and this is another term, Sadducees. It was a sect of Judaism who believed certain little nuances differently than one another. If you want to think about it in common terms today, think about it as like a, a denomination. It was kind of like a denomination of Judaism. But one of the, the differentiators of Sadducees from Pharisees is the Sadducees did not believe in the bodily resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They didn't believe in the resurrection of anyone, period. And if you look back, look at what Peter and John are preaching. Look at verse two. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. This was a previously held belief that they had that now someone is saying, no, in Jesus, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection is possible. He is the first fruits. He, raised, he was raised from the dead and now we follow in his procession. We can be raised from the dead too by faith in Christ. So the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And that's why they are greatly annoyed is because this message is coming into contradiction with their previously held beliefs. So what do they do to Peter and John? Well, you look, at, you look back at, at verse three, it says they throw them into prison. They arrested them and put them in custody and it ends up being overnight. Now, if you wanna talk about resistance, that feels like resistance. You're throw, thrown into prison and if, if, if it were me, I would honestly probably be very discouraged and depressed. But it did not deter Peter and John from preaching the gospel. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. 
thousand. They, they, they weren't deterred. Even though they were in prison, they still had a message to preach. And I think there's a great application for us here in this. Persist in sharing where you are regardless of what doors seem to be closed. Persist in sharing where you are regardless of what doors seem to be closed. No doubt that when we begin to have conversations with people who do not know or walk with Jesus, um, their previously held beliefs can feel like their minds are closed off to hearing about Jesus. Uh, but what I want to remind you is that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That the word of God can pierce people's hearts. It says it cuts us deep. It, it cuts so deep it separates joint and marrow. It, it cuts deep to the heart. And so you don't know what the word of God will do in someone's life. You see, when it says that the number grew to about 5,000, it puts it right after it says that they were arrested and uh, put into custody or thrown into prison overnight. I think, it's pla I think Luke places it there because part of the, the people that were added came from prison. I, I think part of those were some of the folks that were in prison. I also think it was some of the people that they preached to earlier before they were even in prison. Well, my, my point is that they kept preaching regardless of the resistance and the word of God had its full effect. If you remember Isaiah, one of the verses I always think about uh, that encourages me just as a, a communicator of God's word is Isaiah 55, 11, that the word of God does not return void. It fulfills its purpose for which God sends it out. And so I, I don't always know what God does with his word. And it's honestly, it's one of the reasons why after, after I read larger portions of text, you always hear me say, may God bless the reading of his word and may our hearts be open to hear from him because we're gonna broadcast the word. What kind of soil that falls on, hard soil, good soil, rocky, I don't know. I don't know. But when we encounter those, those hard soils, the, what seems like closed doors when people have previous beliefs, they, they grew up this way or, or they say they, they, they don't believe in God, which is a belief, uh, that those can seem like really hard closed doors. And let me tell you, God can do things amidst closed doors. God, God can open closed doors. You're gonna see that in, in the book of Acts. We don't know what God is gonna do, so just continue to persist no matter what the closed door feels like. Don't get discouraged if the audience you thought God was leading you to has a closed mind because there might be an audience around them that needs to hear, and they're the ones that believe. So just continue to persist in sharing regardless of what doors seem to be closed. And, and by the way, let, let me say this. If you find those closed doors uh, with folks who have previously held beliefs, please remain curious. Remain curious about their life. Remain curious about their beliefs. Remain curious about what they're going, what's going on in their life. R curiosity shows you care. And, and, and so please don't hear me say, be, be curious as a, as, a, as a tool or a tactic or a trick or anything. I, I want you to care. 
That's, that's why I want you to be curious. Care about that person, but remain curious, even if a door seems to be closed, okay? So first, resistance comes because Christ threatens previously held beliefs. Second reason why resistance comes is because Christ threatens a person's social standing. It threatens a person's social standing. Uh, If you look back, uh, you have, uh, really, if you look back in verse 5, you have kind of the who's who of the temple courts. This is the highfalutin. You have uh, Annas and uh, Caiaphas, the high priests. Uh, It says you have uh, the rulers and the elders. And when it says the rulers and the elders, what that would have been referring to would have been what's called the Sanhedrin, which which is basically the the Jewish Supreme Court, the the Jewish law Supreme Court, which would have included about 70 people. Okay, so you have, it says you have the, the, about 70 folks with the Sanhedrin. You have the high priest. It says you have John and Alexander. They're not mentioned anywhere else, so we don't know anything else about them. Uh, I feel bad that this is the only place they're mentioned because it's not good for them. Um, it, but all of these people uh, gather around and they put Peter and John on trial. Now, f- please, Do not miss the irony in this. These were the same people that just put Jesus on trial a couple months beforehand. And Peter and John are now on trial in front of these same people. And and, and it's a a fulfillment, and and this is kind of a weird way to encourage you, but remember that that Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, they're going to hate you because they hated me. If you follow me, they're going to treat you like they treated me. And so don't be surprised. See, I I was surprised by that guy's response because I'm like, I'm nice. Or at least I'm trying to be. Uh, You know, uh, why are you you mad at me? What what did I do to you? I, I didn't do anything to him. But if I truly do represent Christ, if I am his ambassador as Paul calls us, then I represent him. So I'm going to get treated just like he was treated. And that's what happens to Peter and John here. They are put on trial. And I love this phrase in verse 7, if you look at it. Again, after they assemble, I mean, it's like 100 people here, everybody of the priestly family, elders and rulers. And it says, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. It's like this mush pot. You know, they put them in the middle and they surround them. I mean, does this feel like bullying, intimidation, peer pressure in a sense? I mean, we're we're all going to surround you and put you in the midst and put you on trial to see if you will cave. That's the picture I, I get when I read this. And you think about why would they do this? Well, everything is on the line for the priestly family. Everything's on the line for the Sanhedrin. I mean, all this, that, that religious system is their livelihood. This is, how, this is their career. 
This is how they make their living. This is how they feed their families. This is the, they're, they're shown respect in the community. And even mo- most of the times we know from history, historical documentation that they were given preferential treatment in the community because of their role here in this priestly system. And now, if this message is true that Peter and John are giving, then the house of card crumbles. They don't have a career. (laughs) They don't have those respectable relationships that they've enjoyed with one another. Their relationships, even if they individually believe, they're going to have to relate to their co-workers differently. Like the the social implications of, of trusting Jesus are massive, massive. And, and I, I, I want to I be true to the scriptures here and, and balance this tension, but you know that there is a cost to following Jesus. And, and some of it is a social cost. You will not always be liked. You won't always be friends the way that you are friends with other people. And those of you who have followed Jesus for months, years, decades, you know that's true. Things, things do change when you identify with Christ and your relationship with other people. And so when we're sharing Christ with other people and they're apprehensive, some of it is, guys and gals, they are starting to begin to process the cost of following Christ. That, that means that I can't keep doing my job the way that I've been doing it because there have been some ethical lines I flirted with. And if I don't do that, my boss ain't gonna be happy. Like there are some social costs that come into that. And, and so I wanna be real about that. Now, obviously, I, I believe that Jesus is better and I believe Jesus can provide all those things. But as we introduce Christ into these relationships with people who do not know or walk with him, you've gotta understand this resistance is coming because it threatens a person's social standing. It changes the relationships that they have with with other people. And so what do we say? Well, leave them be. They're happy. Let let them go. No, 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 no. We've got to persist. And here's what I I would say. Persist in relying on the Holy Spirit's work in you and through you and to others. This is building off of that first point, persistence point that I told you, uh, that the Holy Spirit is working through the power of his word. But you've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit yourself. And what the Holy Spirit is, is prompting you to say, to not say, when to say it, all of those things. If you look at back at verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. And, and I... Uh, I love this because this is a fulfillment of Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, where Jesus actually, when he sends out his disciples, he actually tells them, he says, when you are thrown into prison, don't worry about what you're going to say because at that time, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. I mean, it's a direct fulfillment for Peter. And I I, I just, what a great, I call them God winks to Peter, like I told you, and I got you. But this idea, I mean, he didn't know what to say before that time. He didn't have the right, you know, the magic words and goes, I prepared this, thank you, I prepared a speech. 
now that I'm on trial. I prepared my defense. It was in the moment going, God, I need your help. And at that time, the Holy Spirit showed up. You have to depend upon the Holy Spirit speaking in and through you, and you've gotta be sensitive to how God is leading you. He might not be leading you to say something at that very time. Listen, and we'll talk more about this next week, but being bold doesn't mean being a jerk. Sometimes boldness just means being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and speaking up and speaking kindly. That, that can be being bold, okay? So, so they, they are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And you go, well, Cody, I am worried about speaking up because I'm worried about what I'm going to say because what if they, you know, they cut me off or whatever? Well, first of all, let me remind you of the beginning of this passage when they're preaching the resurrection of Jesus and they get thrown into prison. You know, did they say something wrong? No. <laughs> So just because you get an adverse reaction does not, or, or feel resistance does not mean you said something wrong. And the second thing I want to say is, remember, your words don't save anybody. Only Jesus saves people, okay? So don't, don't, get, dis, don't get discouraged. Be, be sensitive and rely upon the Holy Spirit's work in you, personally, through you, and to others, in other people's lives. Persist on relying on the Holy Spirit. And then finally, the last reason why resistance comes is resistance comes because Christ threatens a person's future plans. Christ threatens a, a person's future plans. If you look back at verses 16 and 17, after this all the elders and leaders and rulers and priestly family and all that kind of stuff get together. In verses 16 and 17, it says, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. We, we, can't, we can't write it off. We, we, we cannot deny the power of a changed life. That's why this is the title of the series. You can't deny the power of a changed life. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, in order that we may continue our own way of life, in order that this house of cards does not crumble, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. Let's just shut it down. Because if this gets out, I don't know what's going to happen to us in the future. And that's a very real thing when we introduce Jesus into people's lives. And those of you who have placed your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to have a right relationship with God, you know that your future, in a sense, is uncertain. Your, your eternal destiny is certain and secure. But day to day, you go, I'm just going to trust you, God. I'm following you. You lead me. My five-year plan didn't work out. My 10-year plan, you've, you've had those plans and things happen. And you go, does that mean that God is unfaithful? No way. He's right there, right there by your side. But we say, Lord, lead us and I will go where you lead. Well, when you give someone else the wheel... That provides some uncertainty for those of us that are in the passenger seat. 
until you know who's driving. And when you know the driver, that being Jesus, and you know his character, you know his kindness, you know where he's going, you just don't know exactly how he's going to get you there, you trust him. And you relax a little bit more. But for those people that have never ridden with him before, that are used to driving, and, I, and they're behind the wheel, that future is very uncertain for them. And you're asking them to change seats in that car. And that, that can be hard for people. I understand that. I get it. So do we let them keep driving? No. You got to persist. And here's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the application a little bit for you here. Persist in spending time with Jesus so you can continually speak about him. Continue spending time with Jesus so you can continually speak about him. And you say, how does that apply to what you just said about future plans? Well, remember, when they try to shut this down, how do Peter and John respond? They say in verse 20, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I have, to, I have to continue to tell you about what I've seen and heard from Jesus. And that's what they continue to rely on and go back on, hoping that God would work through that, through the power of the Holy Spirit to persuade those Sadducees, those elders, those rulers, those ones who fear the uncertainty by placing a trust in him to give up the driver's seat. And I think we've got to continue to speak of his goodness, of his kindness to people. Because it's, remember Romans 2, 4, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. We've got to continue to speak of who God is. That means you've got to spend time with him so you can speak of what you've seen and what you've heard. Bottom line is this. When we encounter resistance, I want you to persist amidst resistance, believing that God can miraculously intervene. Persist amidst resistance, believing that God can miraculously intervene. If you would, uh, uh, later on, go back and read verses 11 to 14. Because if you read 11 to 14, you're going to see... Uh, explicitly three miracles that are referenced in those passages. The first one is that Jesus, the stone that the builders rejected, is now going to become the cornerstone because he's resurrected from the dead. Miracle one. Miracle two, Peter and John, these uneducated fishermen who had given up their livelihood and career and social standing with their families and friends to follow Jesus. They are now speaking in the temple courts with authority in ways that astonish the learned, educated rulers and elders in a miraculous way. And then don't forget this guy that is sitting there that in the last verse, in verse 22, I love this. For the man who was this, uh, whom, on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. There's still a man standing there who has a changed life, who for 40 years didn't walk and who's now, I love it, it the way that it's worded here, it's like he's just standing in the corner like, hey guys. <laughs> like you guys are fighting about all this stuff and Jesus changed my life. You, you can argue about all that stuff like, and, and, and have great discussions and all those things. 
But Jesus changed. God miraculously intervened on that day. 40 years prior, nope. But on that day, somebody walked past me and said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he walked. Why do we persist? Because I believe, you believe that God can intervene miraculously at any point in time. Maybe not yesterday. Maybe not last week. Maybe not last year. But also, maybe today. Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow. I don't know. But I don't want to give up. I don't, I don't want to give up on people. You don't want to give up on people. What if? What if that was the day? I would love to tell you that I walked with this man and he came to know Christ. Gosh, that'd be a great preacher story, wouldn't it? And you go, gosh, preacher, you're amazing. <laughs> I tell you this all the time. Uh, I'm just a normal dude. And I kept walking with that guy. And as far as I know, never trusted Christ. Just kept walking with him. And you go, why did you get, I just didn't want to give up. People are worth it, and God can. Because remember, he intervened in your life. He didn't give up on you. He was always there, persisted amidst your resistance, and one day miraculously intervened so that you stopped being enslaved by your sin and you walked in freedom with him. See, we persist amidst resistance because that's what he did for us and that's what we're all gonna celebrate now. Let me pray for us. God, I just thank you for that simple phrase, God can. I thank you that you are sovereign, you are powerful, and that you can work in miraculous ways. May we never underestimate you, and we, may we never give up on those people that you lead us to. May we persevere in prayer. May we persevere in our care and compassion. May we persevere in those relationships, wanting the best for them to know you as the kind redeemer and savior that you are to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.